The Week in Doubt, religious news stories from a skeptical perspective, random musings on everything from pop culture to politics, and even audio documentaries on weird and interesting topics like Krampus and the history of the holidays. The Week in Doubt, a podcast for atheists, agnostics, and whoever. Hey everyone, I'm Phil Albertelli, the host of The Week in Doubt, and this is episode 338. Before we begin, I'd like to give a shout out to Jim Welsh for liking The Week in Doubt Facebook page. And it's funny, I recently posted something to uh, The Week in Doubt Facebook page making fun of Trump, and almost immediately after I noticed an in-real-life friend who's right-leaning commented on the page, and I started kind of panicking internally. Oh no, she's gonna be pissed I made fun of Trump, and I'm gonna have to smooth things over with her. Turns out it was completely unfounded, and uh, I was worrying for nothing. She saw another post about some right-wing guy commenting on abortion, and she was innocently like, hmm, didn't that guy used to be on the real world? And I was like, phew. Oh well, just thought I'd share that anecdote. <laughs> yeah, I have a couple of uh, IRL friends who are righties. One of them's in my band, so it gets pretty awkward. We're into all the same weird stuff, but then you get into politics and suddenly we're diametrically opposed. Very strange. We can talk about psychedelics, Terrence McKenna, obscure music groups, but then politics, and it's like, uh-oh. I wish people on the right would be more understanding about people making fun of Trump and be like, yeah, he's my guy, but I get it. Like, just take a step back and really look at the situation. You have this con-man-ish real estate guy from New York, a former reality show star, known for his heavy pension for lying and exaggeration, and that's before we even get into the hair, the tweets, his treatment of women, and everything else. Uh, you think they might be like, I-, I don't like you going after him, but I get it. But no, people are so protective of Trump, it's uh, almost cult-like. I like to identify as an independent, albeit a very left-leaning one. You know, if asked on a survey, do you identify more with the Republican Party or the Democratic Party? I'm going to say the Democratic Party, absolutely. But, you know, if someone wants to make fun of certain figures on the left, I get it. Say, like, Biden. I was very fond of Joe Biden for a long time. And I'll be embarrassingly honest, I really didn't know much about his politics. It's more that he seemed like a decent guy with a strong sense of right and wrong. And I was really moved by his personal story, the loss of his wife and daughter as a young senator, then later the loss of his son, Beau. Uh, But a moving personal story can only take you so far, as cold as that might sound. A a politician eventually, you know, has to prove that they've got what it takes. And I have to admit, I've been getting really frustrated with Biden. At first, when I heard he was running, I was like, good, even though I'm not necessarily, you know, for the establishment candidate. Uh, when it comes to beating Trump, I'm like, yeah, if, if we have to, give me an establishment, a strong establishment candidate. And I figured, you know, this is a guy who should be able to stand up to Trump. Uh, the pins are all set up, Joe. You just have to knock him down. Let's just keep the gaffes to a minimum. Then, of course, it's gaff after gaff after gaff. I hate to say it, but when you watch him in recent debates, it's almost like the guy's deteriorating before our eyes. He's starting to look eerily similar to Jeff Dunham's old man puppet. Uh, With the addition of a bad toupee, I guess. I don't know of, uh... (laughs) Not that Biden wears a toupee, but, you know, Jeff Dunham's old man puppet is bald. 
And of course, Trump puts his foot in his mouth every damn day, but frustratingly, his gaffes never seem to stick for some reason. I think it's just that he's, he's such a self-centered narcissist that he just shrugs his own gaffes off, and both he and his followers maintain this kind of constant state of denial, almost like the guy can do no wrong in their eyes, even though he screws up habitually. I'm personally still partial to Bernie. Uh, I hope he can pull it off this time. After that, probably uh, Elizabeth Warren. Still haven't made up my mind about Tulsi. And it's funny, there's been a lot of uh, drama between Tulsi and the Young Turks, specifically Anna Kasparian lately. Uh, interesting. Uh, I like Yang's UBI proposal, but he might be too much of a dark horse or an outsider to stand a realistic chance. Uh, I used to kind of like Kamala Harris, but when you take a good look at her track record, she comes across as something of an authoritarian. Uh, I'm just hoping beyond hope that Trump doesn't get reelected. Uh, uh, but why the hell am I talking about politics? All right, so a brief update on the whole David Silverman thing. I don't want to turn the show into atheist TMZ. Uh, you know, I didn't plan on bringing it up again. But then Dusty made such a hard turn, I felt like the responsible thing was to do a follow-up. So many of you are probably familiar with Dusty Smith, old-school atheist YouTuber. He has a penchant for controversy or controversy, <clears throat> to quote my friends on the other side of the pond, and getting into online feuds. But personally, I like him, and I make a point to watch his streams. And if you listen to my last episode, then you'll know he was the source for much of the information I shared last week concerning former American atheist president David Silverman and the sexual misconduct allegations surrounding him. Dusty's take uh, seemed to pretty much be the same as mine. It was wrong for him to behave the way he did while representing American atheists, the conduct in question uh, having occurred at conferences or events. But if the encounters truly were consensual, then uh, more power to him, so to speak. He didn't deserve to be made into a pariah. But there was something Dusty left out that probably would have affected my stance on the matter. On the first stream where Dusty discusses the topic, he almost drops what he refers to, paraphrasing I think, as a bombshell, but he refrains because he thinks it might not be fair to Silverman or something like that. Well, in between that episode of his podcast and the next, Dusty finds out that Silverman has been making the rounds on right-leaning or so-called anti-SJW channels, and Dusty was none too happy about this and decided to drop the aforementioned bombshell on the next episode. And just to fill you in, a couple of the anti-SJW types Silverman did interviews with were Sargon of Akkad and men's rights activist Karen Strawn. Is that how you pronounce her name? Out of curiosity, I actually went back and watched uh, both interviews in their entirety. Interestingly, Silverman actually uses actual names in an interview with Karen Strawn or Strand. So yes, quote-unquote R is indeed Matt Dillahunty's wife. And just in case you didn't listen last week or you're not familiar with the case, two women came out against David Silverman with allegations of sexual assault or misconduct. One was a conference goer who claimed Silverman offered her a job in exchange for sex. And the other was a woman uh, referred to in a BuzzFeed article simply as R, who once again we now know to be Beth Presswood, uh, atheist activist Matt Dillahunty's wife. 
and she had painted a picture of Silverman being kind of forceful or rough with her. Now, according to Silverman, he was upfront with the first woman that there wouldn't be any quid pro quo. He supposedly made it clear that if they had sex, it wouldn't be in exchange for a job. And in the case of Dillahunty's wife, he says her and Dillahunty are in an, or were in an open marriage and the sex was consensual BDSM play. And so the bombshell Dusty dropped after learning of Silverman's kind of courtship of the right, if you want to put it that way, was the disclosure of some DMs. The messages are between Dusty and someone believed to possibly be Richard Carrier. Um, if you're not familiar, Richard Carrier is also a kind of prominent figure in atheist circles. He's uh, actually, I actually think he's a pretty good scholar. And I kind of tend to compartmentalize my view of Carrier. On the one hand, as I said, uh, I admire him as a scholar. I love listening to him talk about Christ mythicism, etc. But <sighs> Carrier, the human being, and the way he conducts himself socially, that's another matter. And the person in the message thread says that they too have had sex with Matt Dillahunty's wife. And in their words, uh, that she was a freak and they were quote-unquote down for anything. But they also say that Silverman himself supposedly gloated to them that he had ignored safe words. Um, yeah, and I'm thinking to myself, crap, Dusty, if I knew about this, it might have changed how I viewed the whole situation. I ended last week's segment on the subject by saying, hey, if both encounters were completely consensual, then more power to him. Uh, would have been nice to know he might have had someone on the record saying that at least one of the encounters may not have been wholly consensual. I'm still of the same opinion that, yeah, if in theory they were consensual, then more power to them. But if not, that's obviously uh, com completely different. He then goes on to share some DMs he supposedly got from Silverman's people, which seem to vindicate Silverman to an extent. Maybe I'll just play the clip containing uh, all of this now. But I I'm just going to tell the truth. They messaged me and said, dude, she did the same thing to me, only I did sleep with her. And I said, tell me your story in detail immediately. And they said, okay, it was a conference in PA. I was one of the speakers, met her. She was down to hook up. We did a lot. Then she told me the Silverman story. Dave was a friend of mine at the time. I warned him that he had an enemy. He asked me to help him cover it up. That's the summary. You want to know more? And I said, well, yeah, of course. LOL, what did he ask you to cover up to start with? And he said, Silverman wasn't innocent. He was a friend and a mentor to me. He wanted me to talk her into shutting up about it. I wasn't cool with that. I said, what did he do, in your opinion, that you felt that was wrong? He said, they had a sexual encounter. He took it too far, safe words were used, and ignored. I didn't believe it at first because that girl was down for anything, but he admitted it to me. It was really weird. After, hours after I fucked his wife, he's talking about Matt. He came to me asking for my help to bury Dave. But yeah, Dave fucked a lot of girls in the community, some without consent. And I said, uh, ooh, when you say without consent, you mean he raped them? And he said, I mean things went further and weirder than some were comfortable with. And I said, that makes sense. And may I ask, how do you know this? Did David tell you this or did the women tell you this? And he said, David told me this. After Beth had, a few others told me the same. When Beth told me her story, I asked around, heard the same story from others. 
And I asked, uh, and can you tell me exactly what Beth told you? And he said, exactly no. It was years ago. And I said, oh, well, understood. Can you tell me the gist of it? And he said, but what I, what, what I can't remember, they engaged, she got uncomfortable and asked to stop, he refused. And he verified this to you? Yup. Dude fucking gloated about it. Do you remember what he said, basically? Yeah. I said she was kinky. He then said she was totally vanilla and had to push her. And I asked, did he specifically say she said her safe word? And he continued, if you can remember. I think so, yeah. So that was, uh, he, there were other things that were said to me by this guy, but that was, you know, obviously the really explosive shit that he said to me. Now, I, I, did, I don't get the sense that this guy's lying, but at the same time, I, I don't know. He could be. It's possible. So David Silverman's people sent me uh, some text messages between David Silverman and this person that supposedly exonerates David Silverman. Um, with what this guy said, and so I'm going to show you what the, uh, the text message they sent me were. Dude, people I don't know are asking me about you. Something about an interview? Not sure what the fuck is going on, but I am knee-deep in my own struggles right now. Yes, I know you aren't guilty in the way they portrayed you, which David's is saying that this ex exonerates what, he, what the guy said before, but it really doesn't. Basically, he's saying that you're not guilty in the way Beth portrayed you, but that's basically what he said to me, too that Beth was not telling the truth publicly, but she was telling a different story privately that Dave was guilty of. So it, it doesn't really go against what he told me here. But anyway, you are, you are, you are guilty. Or, yes, I know you are guilty in the way they portrayed you. You are guilty as fuck for using your position to act like a rock star. But you didn't rape anyone. The story Beth told me is far different from that BuzzFeed article. Still, I want nothing to do with any of this. Please tell your cronies to leave me out of this. I am still rebuilding my own life, which I would hope you would be sympathetic to. And he had a couple messages that were basically exactly the same thing as this. They said the same thing, like, uh, I know you didn't rape anybody. She, what she said publicly wasn't true. But that doesn't really, like I said, go against what he told me, because he told me that uh, she told him a story that was different than the public story. So I just wanted to get that off my chest, folks. I did not want to sit on this information while Dave goes out there and pretends like the left threw him under the bus and he was completely fucking innocent about everything. I don't know, but people who are inside, people who were there, told me that he told them and she told them a different story and I felt morally obligated to share that with you and I have done so. I hope I have done the right thing here. I don't know. This is something I've really wrestled with. Okay, there it is. Since Dusty updated the story in a way that changes the way that you might view it as a whole, I figured I should do the same. All right. But I promise next week's episode will be 100% Silverman free. All right, next story. And so at face value, this story might not seem like it has much to do with atheism or religion. And it might seem like I'm moving back to politics. And I guess it really doesn't, and I am. But I can't think of Dinesh D'Souza without thinking about Christopher Hitchens, which might be the only good thing I can actually say about Dinesh D'Souza. If you're someone like me who used to like watching atheist versus theist debates back in the day, especially those involving the late great Christopher Hitchens, then you're probably well aware of Dinesh D'Souza. Christian apologist, conservative commentator, etc., etc. There's a very short list of people I truly loathe, but he's up there. Just one of the smarmiest, most insufferable human beings I've ever borne witness to. And now he's going after Greta, is it Thunberg? Uh, I, that's how I heard uh, Mike Figueroa from the, from the Humanist Report pronounce it, uh, Thunberg. 
The young Swedish girl who's been all over the news of late on account of her climate change activism, maybe it was just meant as some smarmy joke, but nevertheless, he drew a Nazi comparison regarding her on Twitter. So embedded in the tweet is a picture from a Nazi propaganda poster of a young girl, swastika flag flying in the wind behind her, and juxtaposed is uh, a picture of Greta Thunberg. And it says... Children, notably Nordic white girls with braids and red cheeks, were often used in Nazi propaganda, an old Goebbels technique. Looks like today's progressive left is still learning its game from an earlier left in the 1930s. And in a way, I hope this was just meant as some bad, distasteful joke, because if you attempt to entertain the sentiment, logically or seriously, it just falls apart. It, it doesn't make any actual sense. Yeah, you know why Nazi propaganda posters featured Nordic white girls as well as Nordic white boys and young men, etc.? Because the Germans are white and they idealized the Nordic racial type. There's no racial agenda behind the climate change activism of the progressive left, shall we say, it just happens that Greta Thunberg is from Sweden, where people tend to be white and of Nordic stock. And of course, Dinesh D'Elusa knows this. Uh, stole that from TYT. He's just doing this because he's a provocateur and a douchebag. And it should go without saying that wanting to protect the Earth from the impact of man-made climate change should be the goal of everyone, not just people on the left. And there were other grotesque and offensive tweets that came from some people on the right recently concerning Greta Thunberg. And this one is from Ian or Ian Miles Chong. And I only know of this guy because of um, this drama that went down between him and Andy Worski. And uh, they started some channel together. And when things started to fall apart, I guess Ma Ian Miles Chong ended up swatting, uh, swatting Andy Worski. Uh, and I guess that isn't the first time he's resorted to those kind of underhanded tactics against enemies. And what he says is, if you think children have the emotional, intellectual, and psychological maturity to lead a global political campaign, then you probably think children have the sexual maturity to consent to sex. That shouldn't sit right with anyone. And then some guy I've never heard of, who is also you know, called out by Patton Oswald, some guy, Justin Murphy, says, not even being provocative, but if you think Greta Thunberg has the maturity to guide global policy making, then you cannot object to Jeffrey Epstein paying 16-year-olds for sex. And it, reading that, it was actually, as offensive as it is, it is hard for me to keep a straight face because it's also so absurd. So let me explain this to you nutters. Okay, it's not you, the audience, the guys issuing these tweets. It is possible to carry, to hold two ideas at the same time. One idea being that, you know, the, the, human, the adult brain doesn't finish maturation until, what, you're somewhere around like 24, 25. 
and th that there's a power differential between children and adults, and that children can't consent to sex. Okay, there's that idea. Then there's the idea that even though they're young and still have maturing to do, sometimes children can get it right idea-wise. Sometimes it takes the idealism of a child to cut through the jaded bullshit of adults and point out what needs to be done when it comes to something like climate change. Career politicians are used to viewing climate change as a political football, when, as I stated earlier, it should be something that any sane, decent human being thinks needs addressing. So sometimes it takes the open eyes of a child who hasn't been jaded by the world yet to say, holy crap, people really need to do something about this. And so the idea that if you think a kid can get it right on a certain issue means that you probably think they also um, have the maturity to consent to sex, that's obviously absurd and intellectually dishonest. And it's the type of thing you'd expect from these right-wing provocateurs. And to be honest, I found out about these tweets via, once again, Cult of Dusty. And he was actually pointing out that it was a good point that a few years ago there was some kind of right-wing wonderkind and no one on the right seemed to be making these arguments. It's only when someone pops up on the left and is trying to talk about something as important as, important as climate change that you start hearing these lurid and absurd and offensive arguments like you must think it's all right to have sex with children if you think that anything worthwhile or good can come out of a child's mouth. And so I wanted to cover one last topic here. I just want to add my two cents to this revelation that Jordan Peterson has recently checked himself into rehab for addiction to some kind of uh, anti-anxiety med. And um, I know that Jordan Peterson is a very divisive and controversial figure. And I've, I've mentioned him numerous times on the show and I guess my opinion of him is still the same as ever. And it's kind of a divided opinion. On the one hand, and you can probably tell particularly from listening to this episode, that I make no secret that I'm a, a left-leaning person. Uh, and that being said, thusly, I don't agree with Jordan Peterson on much, politically speaking. But at, but at the same time, I am fascinated by his psychology lectures. I love listening to him talk about uh, Jungian symbolism and mythology and, and that sort of thing. So he's not someone like Dinesh D'Souza, who I have this outright disdain for. And to be honest, I don't take any joy or experience any schadenfreude, the knowledge that Peterson is in rehab and struggling with addiction. And to be honest, I can really kind of sympathize or empathize with someone, you know, who's wrestling with something like depression or anxiety and uh, who knows what's like to try to battle those conditions with medications. In fact, I almost didn't record an episode this weekend because... 
I'm dealing with uh, trying out yet another medication for my constant migraines and depression. I started some new medic. It's not a new medication, but new to me again because I've tr- I tried it once way back in my twenties. This drug called Remeron. The generic name is mirtazapine, and it's an antidepressant that's also supposed to be good for nerve pain and and possibly migraines, which is why I asked my neurologist if I could try it. And I quickly realized why I stopped taking it in the first place. It makes me incredibly groggy or sleepy. Uh, vivid dreams slash nightmares, sleep paralysis. So I already decided that I am not going to take it any longer. And um, the reason why I almost didn't record a show this weekend is because the stuff had me sleeping like 14 hours a day. So, you know, I can sympathize with Jordan Peterson and, um, you know, feel feeling like you have to take a medication to help with something like anxiety or depression. And in fact, I used to find Jordan Peterson's attitude towards uh, psychiatric medications uh, or antidepressants very refreshing, especially for someone who is viewed as being somewhat on the right. I I think the right has kind of claimed Jordan Peterson, and he does often say things that appear to be kind of right-leaning or anachronistic. But I remember how he used to speak out very openly about how, and kudos to him, because I think sometimes people think that suffering from something like depression or anxiety, that makes you weak. Having to resort to a medication, that that somehow makes you weak. Which in my view, uh, you know, having depression or anxiety, and this is kind of, I'm paraphrasing, but in Jordan Peterson's words, you know, it doesn't make you any weaker than, say, someone who has diabetes or any other ailment. Everyone's got some kind of ailment, even someone that you might view as being, you know, seemingly perfect or really strong or macho or whatever. Everyone, every human being has some kind of ailment, no matter, you know, whether it be small or big or whatever. Um, So for him to openly talk about how he himself I thought it was pretty brave and uh, really honest to be able to talk openly about his own struggle with depression and about how he used to say he couldn't see himself ever not taking an SSRI, a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor, and uh, that he didn't think anything was wrong with that and how he he believed that depression was something that was genetic in his family tree. And his daughter wrestled with it too. And his daughter used to talk openly about how much she valued um, antidepressants and how much they could do for a person struggling with depression. And I think where people have kind of gone for the jugular, some people in uh, this instance, where we found out that Peterson is in rehab for addiction to an anti-anxiety med, is that some people are saying, aha, hypocrite. Because at some point, both Peterson and his daughter, Michaela, I think is her name, kind of did a bit of a 180 where they both embraced this kind of uh, curious carnivore diet 
And I think Peterson said his daughter was the first to embrace this and he saw what it did for her and then he embraced it and he said that this carnivore diet, I think it's nothing but meat and some leafy greens and that that completely, almost miraculously got rid of all of his ailments including um, kind of behavioral health issues, uh, depression, anxiety, it had gotten rid of all of that. So now in light of this news, people are saying, you know, kind of, oh, wow, what a hypocrite. Uh, I, I guess that uh, that meat eater diet didn't work out so well. Now, did it? Now, proponents or defenders of Peterson are saying, give the guy a break. He found out that his wife was dying of cancer. Uh, and you know, he just, that broke him and he needed something, you know? And thankfully it turned out that his, his wife has, uh, that she pulled through and I, I think she's in the clear now. Um, but uh, things weren't looking good for her for a while there. And so I think even Dusty Smith, who isn't any fan of Peterson's by any stretch of the imagination, you know, he was kind of picking out old clips from Peterson lectures of Peterson talking about how life is suffering and everyone's got their cross and you got to pick it up and, you know, go on. And uh, so between him kind of saying stuff like that and uh, talking about how this all meat diet, you know, saved him and cleared up all of his kind of psych issues that, you know, this makes him a hypocrite. And I have a lot more sympathy for the guy and what he's going through than that. And I would say, I don't know if the guy's a hypocrite. I don't know if I'd go as far as that. Although I think, yeah, I mean, hey, you know, if we're trying to be as honest as possible here, you could say, this guy was saying there's an all-meat diet that clears this stuff up. And now we find out, yeah, even, you know, you could argue, even in light of something as serious as finding out a loved one, your spouse, has cancer, if this diet is so great that it clears up your psych issues and it makes you able to cope and deal, that, yeah, that, that resorting to a psych med, you could, you know, if you want to be harsh, you could say that, makes him a hypocrite if he himself is, you know, resorting to um, psychiatric medications. Uh, but I would say more that I think where he was before in the past, how open and honest he was, and his daughter for that matter, about their struggles with depression and how it doesn't make you weak to take psych meds and how much they can improve your life. That was very good stuff. And I think that 180 they did was kind of irresponsible, you know, especially for him being a uh, a practicing psychologist and a psychology professor, that for him to and his daughter to say that there was this miraculous kind of too, seemingly too good to be true meat diet that could take care of your psychiatric issues and get you off of meds, yeah, that was kind of irresponsible. And I'm hoping this will kind of be, uh, not to sound cliche, but kind of a teachable moment for him. And he'll maybe, in a good way, backtrack a little and say, sometimes medications are necessary and take more of a mainstream approach uh, to behavioral health issues and, and what you can 
do to uh, to to tackle them. And just had a bit more context. I was watching a controversial YouTuber last night, I think it was, of uh, this guy Vegan Gains, who, in my opinion, sometimes can be too harsh. And he went as far as making fun of Michaela Peterson's child. And I did not think uh, that was right at all. But he was playing kind of a somewhat damning clip of her or clips of her revealing that she too had resorted on at least one occasion to taking uh, anti-anxiety meds while she was promoting what she now calls the lion diet, uh, this kind of carnivore diet. So, I mean, I don't know, but there's my take on the whole thing. And with that, I'm going to call this episode a wrap. Thanks for listening, as always. And you guys know the drill, Facebook, Twitter, Maybe you want to check out the YouTube channel. You might be doing that now. If you want to support the show monetarily, because I would love to escape the hell, the drudgery of my 9 to 5 job and turn this into my day job. If you want to support the show monetarily, you can go to patreon.com slash the weekend out and help me out for as little as 99 cents a month. All right, brothers and sisters, until next time.